The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. And welcome to this extra special bonus episode of On The Ledge podcast. I'm your host, Jane Perone, and I'm going to be interviewing the UK's Chief Plant Health Officer, Nicola Spence. She's a botanist, a plant pathologist, and the president of the British Society of Plant Pathology. So she really knows her stuff about keeping pests and diseases away from our precious plants. Why interview her now? Well, new regulations about plant passports came into effect in mid-December 2019. And talking to people in the plant community here in Britain, it seems like there's a lot of confusion about who this impacts and how it all works. So I managed to secure an interview with Nicola in which we cover a lot of bases and hopefully answer all the questions that you have. Do check out the show notes at janeperone.com for a full transcript of the interview so you can check exactly what Nicola had to say and also the contact email and website that she mentions at the end of the interview. On The Ledge podcast does have a really international audience, so it's worth saying at this point that if you're outside the UK or, or indeed Europe, then this podcast may not be that relevant to you. You may still find it fascinating and interesting, but its main appeal really is to those who are going to be affected by the plant passport regulation. So if that's not up your street, then do skip on to another episode. And if you're new to the show, welcome and do check out some of the more than 120 episodes I've put out, which cover everything from growing herbs on your windowsill to aquascaping and plant swaps to growing houseplants from seed. Hello, it's uh, Jane Perone here. I'm interrupting my own podcast episode to bring you an update. It's currently the 1st of July 2020. And since this interview was recorded back in January, there have been some changes. And I just wanted to make you aware of those changes before you listen to the interview with Nicholas Spence so that you're working off the latest news that I have. So DEFRA, the Department for the Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, has now put out a new statement about the plant health regulation in regard to amateur growers and non-professional operators, as they call them. And basically, this boils down to the fact that if you are not regularly selling plants to make a profit, then you do not need to be registered as a plant passport issuer. So this is a change from the guidelines that you'll hear Nicola talk about in the upcoming episode. I would suspect this is the result of quite a lot of confusion and pressure from people who have found themselves mixed up in signing up for plant passports when it really wasn't particularly wise for them to do so as amateurs and hobbyists and they were looking at large costs for annual site visits from the local plant health inspector. So I would guess that this legislation has been fine-tuned to remove hobbyists from the equation. 
do go and have a look at the show notes at janeperone.com uh, where you'll find a link to a PDF which explains who counts as an amateur grower or other non-professional operator and who counts as a professional operator. This should help you work out where you stand. Right, back to the interview now, but I hope you can listen with that clarification in mind. Bye. I spoke to Nicola Spence on the 31st of January 2020, which was last Friday as this goes out. And we were speaking by phone. The line's pretty good, but there's the occasional wobble. So do bear with me. And I do hope this interview will prove really useful to those of you who are getting to grips with plant passports. If you've got any additional questions or comments about the show, please drop me an email at ontheledgepodcast at gmail.com. Nicola, thanks for joining me today. It's a topic that's been causing a lot of conversation around the the plant growing world here in the UK. And I wanted to start by asking you about this, these new regulations that have came in late last year, 2019. What's the rationale between this new form of plant passports that have been introduced? Well, the new plant passport regulations widen both the scope of the kinds of plants which require a plant passport, and also the scope of the operators who now must be registered and authorised. And we think that this will allow us to move from a more reactive approach to plant health that we currently have to a more proactive approach, enabling us to better tackle pests and disease threats as they emerge. What are the... the For the consumer that's buying plants in the garden centre or at a nursery or buying things mail order, what will they see in terms of a difference? Will there be anything to see in terms of a different approach to the plants they're receiving? Well, the requirement for plant passports is now going to be down to retail level. Uh, So that also captures distance sales, um, for example, internet trading, so that all traders of plants must now be known to the competent authority, which is uh, DEFRA, and will have plant health obligations. So whether they're a nursery, a landscaper, a high street retailer, or selling online, they will have obligations to be authorised and to keep records. So that when a consumer buys a plant, they may well notice that now on the plant or the box or the label, uh, there may be a plant passport. Uh, But equally, if in some instances the plants have entered a store with a plant passport on a trolley, for example, uh, and the consumer just buys one plant, they may not actually see the plant passport. So it slightly depends on the kind of plant that they're buying uh, and where they're buying it from. Right. And what are the pests and diseases that you're most worried about? What what are the, the big headline grabbing pests and diseases that we're concerned about here and trying to limit through this new regulation? Well, there is a a range of pests and diseases we're concerned about. Uh, We list them all on the UK Plant Health Risk Register. Um, But, you know, essentially for the kind of horticultural ornamental plants traded, we're particularly concerned about things like Xylella fastidiosa, which is a bacterial disease. Uh, We're also concerned about various insect pests, such as the Asian longhorn beetle. Uh, but, you know, there are a wide range of pests that we're concerned about. And 
One of these, the wording of the plant passports says that this concerns all plants for planting. And I've had people who said, can you ask Nicola, what does plants for planting actually mean? Are we talking about everything that goes in the ground or in a pot as opposed to produce that might be plant based, but is, is intended for the kitchen? Is that is that the distinction? Essentially, plants for planting are anything that's going to be either put in the ground or kept in a pot um, and, you know, is essentially is a living plant uh, rather than, um, for example, a cut flower or, a uh, you know, a cutting of something that's being used as a herb. So it's really anything that's going to be planted in the in the ground, remain planted or be replanted. Uh, obviously, cuttings and propagation material, um, things like seed potatoes would also be included and, and potted herbs. Right. I've got you. That makes sense. And one of the other issues that seems to have come up since this legislation came in is the vast numbers of people who are using, often using social media, going online. They're not professional nurseries, but they've got a few plants that they're propagating and either swapping or selling. Um, can you just clarify for me uh, what does it actually mean in terms of who needs to be registered I've heard conflicting advice from people some people saying well I'm a hobbyist so I don't need to be registered even though I'm selling plants online and posting them to people can you just clarify that point yes so I mean we we have had you know several clubs and organizations contact us for clarification so we're still kind of working through the final details. But essentially, um, if a, a hobbyist or an enthusiast is making a profit from sales, uh, then we think that they should be in scope for plant passporting. Just as in the same way, you know, if they're selling uh, cuttings and, and, and so on. Whereas if there is, I know that many clubs and societies have a sort of swapping service. So you know, they might share seeds, they might share material. We feel that that um, would fall outside the scope. So it's really whether somebody is is essentially ma making a business out of it, uh, making a profit, trading for financial benefit, and therefore, you know, it's of a, of a, a greater scale than somebody just kind of swapping or giving away plants uh, at a local club. So for those people in that category who are likely to be less ginned up on all this stuff than hopefully than the nurseries who presumably are much more um, engaged in, in your work anyway, what do they need to do? If somebody is selling some cuttings or plants online, they need to register and, and will they be inspected? Do they have to pay fees? Could you just explain that? Because that seems to be causing people some confusion. So what we would do is ask those people to... Um, contact us through the gov.uk plant health pages and there are various sort of there's online information and um, a sort of email address to contact us so that they can um, notify us of the kind of trade that they're doing mm -hmm. uh, and then we then we can make a judgment as to whether they need to be registered essentially Registering can be done online, but authorization um, means uh, to issue plant passports means that we do need uh, a plant health and seeds inspector to 
take make a visit and decide whether or not you know that person meets minimum plant health standards in terms of traceability knowledge about pests of, of the plants that they're trading in and in terms of fees we um, do charge a minimum fee for an inspection and again that's all set out on the web pages uh, and it's based on a, a kind of minimum time unit of 15 minutes or a part thereof um, so you know if somebody who's a, a very small scale operator it should be fairly straightforward and simple to do obviously a larger operation it will, it might take a little bit more time uh, to do the authorization uh, but fees are payable uh, for somebody to be authorized to issue plant passports so i think the key thing is determining whether or not you know the business is in scope first of all and then what the cost of the authorization might be there's concern that this this regulation might sort of kill off this burgeoning trade in online in in hobbyist growers uh, selling stuff. I, I guess it's that balance between the necessity to ensure plant health and kind of encouraging people to to get into you know be, being into plants is a great thing, but actually we've got to be careful here. I mean, what would you say to a, a hobbyist grower who's who's a bit intimidated and worried about this whole procedure of registering and and so on i mean is there a likelihood that some people might get in touch and then discover that actually they've registered but they don't actually need to be inspected again i think on a case-by-case basis we would encourage businesses or traders to get in touch uh, they can speak to somebody from the uh, animal and plant health agency and find out, you know, whether they are in scope or not. I mean, in terms of, you know, is this, is you know, I know some people are saying, well, this is rather burdensome, but actually just because you're trading informally doesn't mean you're biosecure. And indeed, you know, we have had examples of where pests and diseases have been introduced through kind of hobbyists, people bringing in cuttings, not really realising that there might be a risk and of course, then if you share those with with friends or other hobbyist gardeners, there's a risk that you might spread a pest or a disease. So it's really important to our biosecurity that everybody who potentially might bring in a plant or move a plant with a pest or disease, you know, really understands that they have a responsibility as well as you know, the larger scale traders. Because together, we all need to take responsibility um, for managing the risk of introducing or spreading pests and diseases. Indeed. And one of the other points that I wanted to raise was about, and I know this is another campaign that you've been running, to do with you know people who might not have that much interest in plants at all, but who go away on holiday overseas and really have no idea that they're not supposed to be bringing things back in their suitcase um, plant material. Um, is that is that something you are you are increasing awareness of or trying to campaign against? Because there must be lots of people falling into that category. You know, I see a lot of comments online. Oh, I'm going to this European city and I'm going to buy a load of house plants and bring them back to the UK. What would you say to those kind of people? Well, I mean, at the moment, um, we have the EU plant health regulations, which mean that um, most plants can still be moved within the European Union in passenger baggage. But now the new rules 
state that if you are bringing in plants for planting or any plant material from outside the EU um, that we describe as a third country, you can only do that now if you have a phytosanitary certificate. So that means that that material must have been inspected in the country of origin, examined for pests and diseases, deemed to be free of pests and diseases by a competent authority, i.e. the plant health service in that country, and then a phytosanitary certificate is issued. So that means that you know, any kind of informal trade from outside the EU will now be in scope for this much higher level of regulation to try and stop the import of you know, plant material that might result in uh, importing a, a pest or disease. I guess it's this is the challenge is that it's so hard to monitor everybody coming in and out of the country in various different ways. Are you worried? I mean, I guess the constant worry is that something's going to slip through the net, and even though awareness is growing, that there's going to be some crisis caused by just one person bringing something in without following the regulations. Are we ever going to be able to reach the state where we just don't have to worry about these diseases anymore, or is this going to be an ongoing battle? No, I mean, I think it will be an ongoing battle, and we can't eliminate all risks by regulation of plants. Uh, we feel that it's also important that the public really take more responsibility. So over the over last summer, we had a, a publicity campaign at many airports and ports and on ferries, which was called Don't Risk It. So very brightly coloured um, exhibits, posters and light boxes, uh, essentially explaining that you could bring back pests and diseases uh, as hitchhikers on plants and plant products in your bags and that you know we don't want anybody to bring any plant material whether it's flowers cuttings seeds uh, tubers etc from their holidays because of the risk so i think a combination of public awareness and you know most people would not want to uh, knowingly bring back plant material where they thought there could be a risk uh, so a combination of that public awareness, public action, and then also now regulating uh, all traded plants, you know, whether that's through, um, you know, a large business, a retailer or an Internet trader, so that we are aware of what materials being traded because it's passported. We've got a record of it. And because we've got a record of it, it means we can trace it. So if there is a problem, if there is an outbreak, we can go to that plant passport record. We can find out, you know, where what the origin was, where did it come from. We can trace back up the supply chain, and then we can also find out where was it sold on to, and go and trace the end users if we can, uh, so that if there is a problem, we can tackle the whole supply chain. If necessary, you know, go and destroy plants, remove them from the supply chain to minimise the risk that pests and diseases will spread. Right. As you say, it's a, it's a bit of a detective work involved, I guess, in many of these cases. There were a few other case studies that I had from, from listeners who wanted to ask about specific instances, particularly a professional gardeners and garden designers who might be popping out to the garden centre or, or a wholesaler to buy some bedding plants or some bulbs for their clients and planting them in their garden. Do they need to get registered and involved in plant passports or is the plant passport that's coming from that retailer sufficient? 
Well, bulbs are included in the scope of plant passports because obviously they are plants for planting. They're going to turn into Mm -hmm. a plant. So landscapers, gardeners and designers should all be registered and then that means they can be provided with plant passports when they purchase the plants and then they will be able to keep a record because they have a responsibility to the clients that they're designing for or building for. However, they only need to be authorised to issue their own plant passports if they're supplying to other professional operators. And it's the responsibility of the landscaper to declare themselves as an operator so that um, you know, it's clear within that supply chain you know, who are, who are the professional operators? Uh, and obviously the person owning the garden effectively is the end user. So, you know, they, they might want to keep the passports to show that, you know, that they purchased the plants from somebody authorised. But, you know, essentially it's the operators, the landscapers, the designers and the suppliers of the plants who need to be authorised uh, and issue the passports. So just talking about uh, cut flowers, presumably, again, we're going back to the plants for planting point. So presumably a cut flower that's just intended to go in a vase wouldn't be affected. But a dahlia tuber bought from a a, a cut flower producer would need a plant passport. Yes, that's right. right. So simply a bunch of cut flowers does not need to be passported. However, you know, if there is a bulb or a, or a corm or a tuber, which will produce flowers that will be cut at a subsequent subsequent date those plants that you know the the tuber material does need to be plant plant passported so for example dahlia tubers um, they are plants for planting because they're going to go into the ground they'll turn into a flower so they do require plant passports but then the, the flower if you cut dahlia flowers and sell a bunch of dahlia flowers those don't require passporting and a bit of a personal example here. Um, I helped to run a community herb garden. And in past years for our open day, we have purchased herb plug plants, which we have then grown on and sold for uh, at the open day to members of the public. Would we need to be concerned with plant passports or because is there an issue, a difference between face to face and uh, um, mail order? Well, this this is a bit of a difficult area in terms of are you an amateur here or are you actually trading those plants? I think this is something that is still under discussion. But generally speaking, if the plants that you're that you're giving away or you're selling, um, you know, are going to be planted, then they will fall under the scope of plant passporting if they're being moved by a a kind of professional operator. Um, Equally, you know, where you've got um plant societies that do seed exchanges mm-hmm. we feel that those societies should be registered and receive plant passports for for good any seed or goods that they buy because i know some specialist societies they they buy bulk seed yes. and then they distribute it to their members so in that instance you know the, the people actually doing the purchasing of the seed we think should be registered They'll receive a plant passport. However, if they're then giving away the seed to members, then those movements don't have to be passported. Because in that case, we would still have traceability. We'd have traceability from the authorised 
purchaser of the seeds. They would have the plant passports. And then, you know, again, presumably in a plant society, you know who your members are. Um, you know, the material then gets dis- distributed, uh, but you don't need to give a, a passport to every individual in that seed club. You know, the person actually who organises it and, and buys the seed should should receive and hold those passports uh, for traceability. And when you say, obviously, this, there's a lot to this, this regu- regulation. When you say under discussion, does that mean that at some point you'll be issuing a kind of a final edict on on those slightly more tricky issues about yes. professional yeah. um, growers. Yeah, and it's partly um, the, you know, the, the legislation comes from the European Commission um, and some of their legislation hasn't quite been finalised. So, you know, the approach, we're taking a pragmatic approach to this um, so that, you know, our... Our wish is that you know if people you know want to seek guidance, we'll we'll look at their their case and be able to advise them as to whether or not they're in scope or not. Um, and if they are, then we'll help them and support them to become compliant. Um, so you know we are taking a pragmatic approach. You know we realise that this is quite new to large numbers of people who previously you know didn't have to kind of fulfil these regulatory obligations. Uh, so it's in everybody's interest that, that we work together uh, and try and, you know, come up with a pragmatic approach uh, so that people can, you know, take responsibility for the plants that they're trading, uh, but also continue to um, operate. And because, you know, we know how important and valuable it is that people get together to, um, you know, appreciate plants and, um, you know, people love their gardens and they want a selection of plants available. So we want them to be able to do that, but but understand what the risks might be, um, make sure that they're being as responsible as possible. And, you know, then, we, then they appreciate plants and seeds in the future. Inevitably, there will be a few people who fall through the net on this and either just refuse to register um, and become authorised or just don't hear about this. What will happen to those people who who should be registered and authorised but but don't do it? it? Are there penalties, or will it be a question of sort of carrot and stick with people who are a bit reluctant? I think in most cases, you know, we're gonna we're gonna deal with this in a pragmatic, uh, fair, and proportionate way. And this will probably start with us, you know, contacting a business or an individual um, and explaining to them that you know they are non-compliant give them advice on what they need to do, give them, you know, time to complete that action and then follow up to check that the action has been completed. So that's the approach we intend to take. Uh, We'll deal with cases of non-compliant case-by-case basis, uh, but very much working with individuals and businesses and clubs to help them to become compliant, you know, over a reasonable period of time. And we do have people to help and support with that presumably you'll be going after the big fish first though i mean i've heard people say that they've received plants mail order since the regulations came in with no sign of a plant passport in any of the documentation they've received from quite large nurseries so presumably even some of the big nurseries right now are struggling to come to grips with this uh, new regulation 
Well, we would expect big nurseries to already be in the you know previous plant passporting scheme, but but certainly you know we gather a lot of intelligence. Uh, we use internet searches to find out who is trading, what kind of material they're trading, and then we follow up with phone calls or visits. Um, so you know we're very keen to find out. Um, you know any intelligence about who is trading plants so that we we can follow that up, and certainly any large business should definitely be compliant, uh, and should probably already have been compliant. You know pr- prior to this new regulation coming in, so we will be following up with them uh, and uh, you know taking action to ensure they become compliant over uh, coming months. What kind of records are involved here? I mean, are we talking about a sort of a spreadsheet showing pl- where plants have come from, if they've been propagated from your own stock or come been bought from somewhere else? Is it as simple as something like a single spreadsheet listing your plant sales and sources uh, and dated and any any other information, or is there is there some way, particular way that you want people to record this information? We're quite flexible about record keeping. Uh, the the must is that you keep records for at least three years and they could be stored physically, i.e. you could actually keep the passport, you know, file it somewhere, or you can digitally um, record it in a spreadsheet. Um, But the key information is that you record the professional operator um, who supplied the the material, uh, any information that was on the passport, i.e., you know, country of origin, batch number, all that kind of information. And, you know, uh, keep keep that information for at least three years. Because in cases where we do have outbreaks or interceptions of pests and diseases, we go back to nurseries and traders and ask to see those records. And then that becomes the basis for um, a track and trace exercise which means that we can follow up on material uh, and go and you know check whether or not it's it's infected with a pest or disease so it's very important to us and if you're a, a very small hobbyist kind of grower what will this plant inspection involve will it be you know sitting down with a cup of tea and looking at my windowsill and saying okay what do you know about xylella what will people have to sort of come up with at that inspection in terms of showing their competence and knowledge well again i think it's um very much according to the scale of the operation so for a large plant business, we would expect there to be somebody in that business who um, perhaps has done some training, um, is aware of plant pests, is aware of you know, some of the high-risk hosts that they're dealing with and you know, organises their nursery in such a way that they you know, have good practice in terms of you know for example if you are trading high-risk hosts of things like xylella fastidiosa you know we would recommend that you kept those hosts in in one part of the nursery away from other material Mm -hmm. Um, so you know somebody might choose to do that Um, again good record keeping knowing where your material has come from taking decisions about sourcing that kind of thing Um, and you know, checking that somebody has a has a sort of basic understanding about recognizing pests, so that 
if they're issuing a plant passport, um, you know, they, they know how to examine a plant. So we've got very highly trained plant health and seeds inspectors who will visit the premises, uh, visit the person, you know, spend a bit of time with them, just sort of checking um, basic competency uh, and then be able to advise sort of sources of information. One good source of information is the UK Plant Health Portal. So that's an open online resource. It has the uh, UK Plant Health Risk Register. It has lots of uh, pest fact sheets. Uh, it's got good uh, photographs of some of the common pests, some of the high-risk pests, and talks about current threats in plant health. So, uh, you know, I'd encourage anybody trading plants and plant material to familiarise themselves with some of that basic information so that, you know, again, they, they are taking responsibility. And once you've been inspected for that first time, will, will the inspection be a sort of a regular thing or will it be a one-off thing that you're then you're then authorized and, and away you go yes i think it it does depend on the scale of the operation and um you know the type of material that's being traded we would expect most passporting operators to have an annual inspection but in some cases if somebody's kind of new to um the plant trade or was trading very high risk hosts or needed you know a bit more support you know they might have more than one visit a year it rather depends on on the nursery or the or the, the operator national collections are obviously really really important in the uk for protecting um rare plant collections how well, presumably from what you've been saying for anyone who has a national collection who is giving plants to other people to to sort of make sure they don't die out, they will need to be registered. Um, is that right? Well, we feel that if if a national collection holder is selling surplus plants for profit, then that would fall under the scope of plant passporting. Um, whereas in most cases, if they were just giving away plants, you know, to to make sure that. Um, you know, rare plants don't die out and several people have them, that's probably likely to be exempt. Right. Um, so we're just, we are actually looking at this at the moment to get a better idea as to how national collections currently operate. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, you know, it's, it's important with a national collection, you know, the whole point of it is to protect um, sometimes kind of rare or valuable species. You know, we want to make sure that we're not inadvertently spreading pests and diseases with those plants. So um, ideally, I think, you know, we, we would like national collection holders to be plant passporting. Mm. Uh, but there may be some instances where they're giving away small amounts of material that um, that, that could be done without a plant passport. Instagram and Facebook giveaways are really big right now for plants and plant cuttings. How would that be affected by plant passports? Because that's obviously not involving any money changing hands, but is involving a potentially disease-ridden plant um, moving about the country. Would that be affected at all? I mean, if people, again, if people are making a profit, it effectively becomes a distant sale. So that would come under the scope of plant passporting. But if it's just swapping or giving away, not making any profit, then we would consider that as falling outside the scope of plant passports. Uh, so, again, it sort of depends on 
the scale of things and, you know, whether people are selling plants. I mean, we have had some cases of uh, material being traded on the internet. Um, um, and I think in this case it was for sales where we, we traced it back to uh, a quarantine pest, actually. So, again, you know, we will be monitoring um, social media, you know, we do extensive internet searches for keywords, key plants, particularly high-risk hosts, so that we can monitor that. But but essentially, you know, if it's just giving away or swapping um, with no profits, then, you know, that will likely fall outside the scope of plant passporting. We want to be proportionate about this. Uh, but equally, you know, we we do need to monitor and, and see how things develop. And if there are sort of risky trades being being distributed, even not for profit, then, you know, that we would be concerned about that. One of the things I've been seeing in, in press reports about this regulation is that they seem to be making what from what you said, a, an incorrect def, a di- distinction between selling in person and selling mail order or online in other words if you're selling in person it's fine if you're at a plant fair you don't need plant passports it's only if you're selling mail order or online but from what you're saying that sounds like that's not right well i think it depends on the sort of scale and scope um i mean if you're essentially it comes down to you know are you are you running this as a business even albeit a very small business in terms of making a profit from those plant sales you know we feel that if you're doing that then you should be in scope uh for for plant passporting but if you're at um you know a village fair and you know you've got a few plants um that you know are just sort of going to people in the village then um, you know we would we would t- take a pragmatic approach that um, you know generally that that would be fine. Uh, but you know if you've got I mean obviously some fairs have professional plant traders who come in and are selling lots of plants and that's their business. Mm. And we feel that they would be in scope. Whereas a volunteer um, you know giving away plant material. Um, you know, we would think that that would be outside the scope. It's difficult to decide, you know, who's who's um, a kind of professional here and who, who is a hobbyist or a sort of amateur here. I think that really is the crux for me, is the difference between if you're talking about a professional, by your definition, a professional is somebody who's just making a profit, whether it's £2.50 or £250,000. Mm, Basically, yeah. that's what you're saying. That's that's the people covered, is anyone who's making any amount of money out of plant sales. Those are the people yeah. you're targeting. Yeah. And just a, a couple of questions more generally about um, Brexit, the, the dreaded B word, and plant health. Obviously, we're in a, at the moment, as this podcast goes out, we're in a, a limbo period where will things move on from here will there be further changes as brexit is implemented and trade deals get established so we're about to enter a transition period until the end of december 2020 and during that transition period businesses should continue to use the current processes Uh, so trading plants and plant products we will continue to follow the current regulations and there'll be no immediate change to that um over time you know we will be reviewing that 
but really it's too soon to to be able to say anything about um, what you know what the future arrangements might be. And just finally, Scotland, how does this play out in Scotland? Have they got their own regulations on on the matter of plant passports that's separate and different? So Scotland, um, in Scotland, plant health is a devolved matter. So they have their own um, sort of regulatory system. However, uh, they have not diverged from the plant passporting regulations in England. So essentially, they're, they're following exactly the same set of regulations they are implemented in Scotland uh, in the same way. Nicola Spence it's been really interesting to talk to you Um, if anyone's got any further questions as a result of this or wants to find out if they need to be registered what's the best thing to do the plant health portal is the place to go online? Well if you go to the plant health portal along the top banner you will see uh, plant health regulation you can click on that and it will take you to various pages including the gov.uk pages you can also speak to your local plant health inspector and you can contact the plant health inspectorate um, at apha underscore srsf mailbox at apha.gov.uk and that email address is also on those web pages so that takes you to the Plant Health Inspectorate. You'll be able to email someone or speak to someone about a specific uh, query. We'll also be having um, APHA Plant Health Inspectors at various shows over the summer. So the Royal Welsh Show, um, various um, sort of shows in England and Scotland, um, so that, again, you can go and talk to uh, a plant health inspector at some of those um, horticulture and agricultural shows to get a bit more advice. Fantastic. And I'll include that, that information in the show notes as well at, at my website, janeperone.com. Nicola, thank you so much for joining me. That's been very enlightening. Thank you very much. I do hope you found that useful. And as I said before, check out the full transcript at janeperone.com, where you'll also find the link and email that Nicola mentioned. And I also want to hear from you. I'd love to know what you think about plant passports, whether you're a hobbyist, a professional, a charity or a national collection holder. It'll be great to know your thoughts on how these new rules are going to change the way that you work. On the ledge podcast at gmail.com is the best way to get hold of me. You'll also find me on Twitter at Jane Perone and on Instagram at j.l.perone. I'll be back this Friday with a regular episode of On the Ledge, so please join me then for more houseplant chat. Bye! The music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by The Joy Drops and Endeavour by Jazar. Both tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. See the show notes at janeperone.com for details.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.